We're going to continue this week our study of supporting roles, uh, supporting roles, and uh, stories of people in the Bible who weren't necessarily the upfront leader, but who had important roles to play in support of what God was doing. And last week we looked at the life of Judah. This week we are going to look at the life of Aaron, the life of Aaron. And um, people who serve in supporting roles can sometimes have this question of significance. Do I really matter? Is what I do important? Do people notice or recognize or appreciate what I am doing? And sometimes in a supporting role, we, we might wonder whether we are being affirmed in the work that we have, have, have set ourselves to do. And so when we think about Aaron, and we're going to be looking real close at Aaron's life today, one of the things you would know about Aaron is that his name is going to be first in every Bible dictionary. No doubt about that. Uh, but he is not the first person people think of when they think about the Exodus and they think about the nation of Israel and those vital days within their history. You, you, you've all seen uh, the Ten Commandments and you know it was Charlton Heston who was Moses, but, but who played Aaron? I don't know. It's one of those supporting roles. But you know what? Aaron never complained about this. As you look at the life of Aaron, you realize he, he accepted this. He accepted it well. In fact, he did his very best work when he was in a supporting role. And he was at his worst when he was left in charge. Um, so God has special places for each of us. And Aaron found that place. And he did well in it. Um, he spent 40 years in the shadow of his little brother. You ever thought about that? Moses was the younger brother. Aaron was the oldest. But Moses was the one who got the attention, who really took the lead. And yet Aaron spent 40 years in his shadow. Moses was the prophet. Aaron was the priest. And as his, his life starts to wind down, and these guys lived a long time. He's over 120 years old. People start to question him. They start to question Aaron, whether or not he's really suited for the task, whether or not he's really the, the guy that they should have had in this role. After 40 years of faithful leadership, the people start complaining about Aaron. He's past his prime. They want Aaron out. They want his family out. And so when we come to Numbers chapter 17, which is going to kind of be the focus of our story today, we are going to, to see this come to a head, this challenge from the people against the authority and the leadership of Aaron. But as I was studying this, I found it very interesting, the comparisons between Judah and Aaron. I had would have never thought of it except that last week we looked at the life of Judah, and this week we look at the life of Aaron. But, but Judah had, was, was one of 12 brothers and one sister. 
Uh, Aaron was one of two brothers and one sister. And among the 12 brothers of, of, of Jacob, the sons of Jacob, they were, uh, could be described as, as being always in rivalry with one another. There was, there was conflict, there was jealousy, there was tension between them all. But with Moses and Aaron, there was this incredible sense of, of harmony, of unity, of cooperation. In fact, it, it, it was so much that um, the psalmist picks up on this in Psalm 133, where it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This unity of brothers is, is, is exemplified in Moses and Aaron. Uh, the Lord spoke uh, to Moses and to Aaron. And at least 15 times in the Old Testament, it says, and God spoke to Moses and Aaron. There's more than 60 times I found where the Bible says Moses and Aaron did this, or Moses and Aaron did that. 60 times. These guys were very close and worked very closely together. I also think it's interesting that Judah and his brothers led the people into Egypt. Well, Aaron and Moses led the people out of Egypt. And then finally, the other parallel that I found between the two, Judah and Aaron, is that they both tragically lost two sons. They both lost two of their sons. But anyhow, let's get into the life of Aaron. And I want us to look first at chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 of Numbers. Because remember, there's this conflict. They're, they're questioning Aaron's authority. And so it says here in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs, and the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony." So as this story begins, the people of Israel are taking part in their favorite pastime, murmuring, murmuring. And I always remember whenever uh, Dr. Joe Stoll would preach on a subject like this from the Old Testament, he would then tell everybody in the congregation to all start saying the word murmur, murmur, murmur over and over again. So let's do it. Murmur, 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 murmur. You feel that that rumble, that noise, that sound of murmuring, that's what it sounded like. The word is what it sounds like. There's a name for that. Onomatopoeia. Yes. 
These people are murmurers. Sometimes they murmured and grumbled about the food. Sometimes it was about a lack of water. Uh, here they are now murmuring and grumbling about Aaron's leadership of the priesthood. And what does God do about this? Well, if you go back to chapter 16 and read it later, you'll find there the story of Korah. And in the case of Korah, he was grumbling about leadership as well. And I don't know if you remember what happened to Korah, but you'll have to go back and read. I'll tell you just a little bit. The ground opens up and they are swallowed into the earth. That's what God did when Korah grumbled. So now more people are grumbling. What's God going to do this time? Something as, as dramatic as that, maybe something even more. Well, instead, what does God do? He talks to Moses and says, go to the heads of all the different tribes and get a staff from the head of each tribe. Now, your staff was a very important thing. It was, it was kind of like your ID. Um, you didn't have a driver's license back then, but your staff, I mean, that's how you, you knew. I mean, you had it with you all the time. And I'm sure each one was kind of unique or special. Um, it might have taken on sort of the characteristics of the person who had it. And, 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 and God says, take a staff from the head of each of these 12 tribes and then take them all into the tabernacle and, and place them before the Ark of the Covenant. And then God says, one of the staffs is going to bud. And the staff that buds is the staff that belongs to the person that I want to lead the priesthood. Well, if you were Aaron, you'd be thinking, boy, this is like a real questioning of my, I've been doing this for 40 years, and now I've got to go up against all of these other tribal leaders. And I mean, it's kind of a kick in the teeth in a way. But Aaron doesn't complain. Aaron is just willing to do whatever needs to be done. And so they, they gather up the staffs and they put them in the tabernacle. And I've got a staff here. Maybe it would have looked something like this. This one even has a name, Woodburned, on it. They put the names of each of the tribal leaders on the staffs so that they would just be sure to know whose was whose. There wouldn't be any arguing about it once they pull out the one that has budded. So Aaron's staff was a really special one. There would have been none other like it. Uh, it was no ordinary piece of wood. In fact, um, it, 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 it was more than just a walking stick. It was more than just a cane. It was more than just a weapon. It signified all kinds of history and purpose and meaning. And, and there's even... I found this fascinating this week, an obscure rabbinical tradition that claimed that Aaron's staff was the same as Judah's staff. We just talked about Judah last week. Remember the staff that Judah gave to Tamar um, as part of the, uh, um, his payment uh, was said to be the same staff that Aaron wound up carrying. We don't know that to be for sure, but that would make that staff more than 400 years old, if that is the case. 
Now, one, some rabbis even went, went further and claimed that God created the staff on the sixth day of creation and that it was passed down from Adam to Noah to Judah. To, and, and that would make it like practically petrified. But this thing is old and has been through a lot. And not only that, it's demonstrated authority. Think about the things this staff has done to demonstrate the authority that God had imparted to his servant Aaron. It was this staff that Moses and Aaron took before Pharaoh and uh, threw down on the ground and it turned into a snake. And then Pharaoh's court magicians decided, well, we can do that too. And they threw their staffs down on the ground and they turned into snakes. But then what did Aaron's snake do to the other snakes? Ate them up and then turned back into a staff. Authority. It showed authority. And then there were other plagues that were brought against Egypt. He, he held it out over the Nile River, and the river turns to blood. He uh, uses it to, to draw forth gnats and frogs and other things that afflict the Egyptians, all as a demonstration of the power of, of Yahweh, of Israel's God, over the Egyptian gods. Now, of course, the power is not in the staff itself. That's not a, a, a magical sort of thing, but God using this, this, this symbol or this object in the hands of Aaron and Moses does great things. Now, I, I, I say Aaron and Moses because there is some controversy about whether or not Aaron and Moses used the same staff or if they each had their own staffs. Now, you can research this on your own if you ever have time. But, but it does seem like whenever Aaron has the staff, Moses doesn't have one. And when Moses has one, Aaron doesn't. It's possible that they were using the same special staff, changing back and forth. Or maybe they each had their own. We don't really know. But if it was the same staff, then it was the same staff used by Moses when he held it out over, over the Red Sea. It's convenient that I got water here right now. <laughs> and divided the waters, and they passed through on, on dry land. Wasn't that an incredible story? Or, or the time when they were thirsty for water in the desert, and, and they come to the rock of Horeb, and Moses strikes the rock, and water comes forth and feeds, or not feeds, but gives water to the whole nation. It would have been then the same staff that Moses held up over his head when they fought the first battle against the Amalekites. This was the, the first test of the, uh, of the Israelite army. And the, the, it says that as long as Moses held the staff over his head, the Israelites were victorious. But as soon as the, the staff started to fall, they would start to lose. So, so Aaron and Hur had to each hold ends of the staff to hold, keep it up over Moses' head throughout the course of the battle. There's a lot of authority demonstrated through this old staff. But there's some absences of the staff as well in the story of Aaron's life. We don't see any evidence of Aaron having this staff when he was at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 32. Maybe it's because Moses took it with him up the mountain when he went to get the, the Ten Commandments and the, the law. But you know what happened to Aaron when he was left in charge? They, the people got worried that Moses wasn't coming back, and they came to him and said, make us a golden calf. Make us 
some kind of a representation that we can bow down and worship it. And, and, and Aaron just kind of goes along with it. And, and God is extremely angered by this act of idolatry. And, um, and, 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 and there's terrible punishment that God brings against the people as a result of, of this idolatry. And somehow, Aaron gets away without any consequences. We're not sure how, but um, he, he manages to tell uh, Moses, what was his excuse? He said, I just, I just threw all this gold into the fire and out came this calf. And, and strangely, Aaron is not punished while many others are. Some have speculated that maybe they, they forced Aaron into this somehow. I, I don't know. Aaron, Aaron is, 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 is free to fail like the rest of us, and I'm sure he did there. And there were other failures in, in Aaron's life. There was the time when he and his sister Miriam decided they were going to object to Moses' leadership. And they questioned whether Moses should be the one in charge. And I don't know if you remember what happened then, but uh, it was Miriam who was afflicted with leprosy. And what happened to Aaron? Nothing. Nothing at all. Now he pleads for mercy and, 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 I, and, 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 and Miriam is, is healed. But Moses, or I'm sorry, Aaron doesn't always do everything just right. There were failures. One of the worst failures, and this wasn't just Aaron's, but it was the nation's as a whole, was when they came to the promised land. God had brought them out of Egypt. He, he brings them to the, the border of the promised land and says, you are ready to go in and take possession of this land. And they send in the spies, and the spies seek out uh, the land to figure out how they can take it and to see what's there. And they come back with the report and saying, there's giants there. We can't do this. Only Joshua and Caleb said we can, and the rest said we can't. And, and so Moses and Aaron and, and the people end up turning back, and God says, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of your failure to enter in. So that staff becomes a walking stick, a lot of walking, 40 years of walking through the wilderness as a result of that failure of faith to enter in. And there was more. In fact, this comes a little bit after our story of, of uh, number 17, but they come to a rock again, and the people again are thirsty and need water. And God says to, to Moses and Aaron, he says, you just need to speak to this rock and the water's going to come out. But Moses is impatient. Instead, he takes the staff and he strikes the rock. It's what he did the last time, he does it again, but that's not what God had asked. And both Moses and Aaron are told that they will not be able to enter in to the promised land. This has been a long life, a long journey. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of struggles. And when you think about some of the failures in, in Aaron's life, maybe, maybe the people have a point. Maybe it is time for new leadership. Maybe it is time to pass the baton to, to another tribe, to another group of people to lead the priesthood of, of Israel. 
Um, so this brings us to that test when all the rods are brought and they're placed before the, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and it's time to wait to see which one will bud. Well, let's read Numbers 17 now, 8 through 11. It says, On the next day Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. According to the book of Hebrews, that staff ended up inside the Ark of the Covenant to memorialize forever that God had chosen Aaron and his family. The power of God displayed through this sign to Aaron. You know, if this stick were 40 years old, 400 years old, a thousand years old, it doesn't matter. There's no way life is going to come out of that. But God said a staff would bud. And in this case, not only does it bud, it blossoms. And not only does it blossom, but there's a full-grown almond already there. This is like hyperspeed life generation on this staff. And you know, the almond was considered to be the first bud of the season. Fitting for us this time of year as we start to look for the buds, we start to look for the, the flowers sprouting up through the snow. The almond bud was the first that they would see as the snows began to melt. And so Aaron's rod grows an almond. New life from dead wood. And this foreshadows Jesus' life. He died. He was in the grave. And God gave him new life giving us the sign that Jesus Christ is our high priest, that he is the one in whom we have life. And isn't it also then a picture of baptism for us? What we celebrated here today, that as we are dead in our sin, we go down into that grave and we rise up to new life, that God regenerates in our dead hearts new life in him. We celebrate that with those who were baptized. And, and for all of us who know that new life in Christ, what a, what a blessed gift it is. The affirmation of the power of God in our hearts and in our lives. Aaron also experienced through this the affirmation of God for his life and for his ministry. God affirmed Aaron in his leadership by causing that staff to bud. It's as if God looked at Aaron after 120 years and 40 years of ministry and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have served me well, and I will not back out on you now. You know, God says that to us as well as we serve him. 
He wants us to be affirmed. Whether we are the upfront leader that people see and recognize and, and, and celebrate, or whether we're working behind the scenes, supporting others, affirmation is critical, especially in the face of, of, of doubt or resistance or complaining and grumbling. It can be hard year in and year out, to serve and to lead without affirmation. But God gives us that, and, and we should give it to one another. God wants us to be an affirming people, encouraging one another when good work is done well. Well, Aaron dies shortly after this at the age of 123. It's described to us in Numbers chapter 20. He goes up on Mount Hor. And he dies there, and uh, God blesses him. The whole nation mourns. And he finishes the race well, because God has affirmed him in what he's done. So we've seen the power of God. We've seen the affirmation of God. And through this, we also have a lesson about access to God. Access to God. The priesthood was important to these people. There was an argument about this because it meant special access to God. They were fighting over who could be the priests because they wanted to know who would have this special ability to go before God on behalf of the people. But you know what? Jesus is our high priest. And because Jesus is our high priest, we all have direct access to God through him. It's a principle that we call the priesthood of the believer. And we firmly believe in this, that we don't need a priesthood like Aaron and his sons. Because Jesus is our high priest, we are all part of the priesthood of the believers who come to God through faith. And so we each have access to him. In fact, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Each one of us has essentially a staff that God can make to bud and to grow almonds again. No matter how dead that wood might seem to you right now, whether it's your own heart or maybe somebody you know that you've been praying for, God wants to make new life in old dead wood. It reminds me of John chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. God brings new life out of dead wood. And he does this for all of us, not just for a select few like Aaron, but for each one as we trust and follow in him. So I want to encourage you with that. Be affirmed in that. Whatever your calling and role may be, we have that life of God in us through Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Aaron and for his life and for his example to us. Help us to, to follow um, the way he did long-term to hang in there, not to give up. And we know there are trials. We know there are tests. We know we have each failed. We know that some will complain or murmur. But Lord, we thank you for the perseverance that you give us, for the affirmation that you give us. We thank you for the access we have to you through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. And we thank you for that new life that you have shown today in the lives of these four who were baptized. And we celebrate this all in Jesus' name. Amen.